Well, recently in our expository series in the book of Mark, Mark has given us three epic accounts of Jesus showing his power, his mastery over nature, over the demonic world, and over disease and death itself. And then last week, after Jesus sent out his disciples with authority, we see one of another Mark doing building one of his Mark and sandwiches. There come the disciples. They're the scene of, of going out with authority and in Jesus' name casting out demons. And then all of a sudden this story about John the Baptist and, and the de- gory details of what happened to him. Well, Mark's going to pick up now the third aspect, the last piece of bread in that sandwich from last week. This is the, the third part in building his Mark and Sandwich. And we're going to see that at the beginning of chapter 6 and uh, verse 30. Excuse me, not the beginning, but chapter 6, verse 30 is where our scripture reading begins. And we'll go through verse 44. Remind you, this is the word of the Lord. Hear it with careful attention and appreciation. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Now, Mark's real brief. He's a man of brevity. He just kind of summarizes, but there's a lot in that. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing And broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve basketful of broken pieces and of fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. The grass withers, the flower fades, but not God's word. It will stand forever. Let's ask his blessing on it. Father, once again, we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit 
This is truth that is discerned spiritually. It cannot be understood by us in our natural gifts and abilities. Lord, we need the, the work, the soft sound of the Spirit to blow in this place this morning into our hearts and our lives. Show us more what you would have us know about your beloved Son in whom you're well pleased. Father, let us feast on him today in this time together and in this supper together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This section, of course, is called what? The feeding of the 5,000. Your Bible translation that you have probably has that as a header for this section. Very, very famous. Matter of fact, this is one of the few in which all of the gospel accounts record this story. Not just one or two, but all four gospel writers center on and record this account. Now, we're looking, of course, at Mark's perspective on this through the eyes of Peter. And its significance, this story, this account, this event that is taking place on the north shore of Galilee, northeast shore of Galilee, is signaled as significant by two reflections that Mark will make in his gospel about this, and two sequels, things that will happen later in the process. And one of which is the Lord's Supper, and which the feeding of the 5,000 here is just a foreshadowing of that event to come. The parallel is amazing. Listen to the parallel wording. In 41 that I just read a while ago, it says this, and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And then the night in which our Lord was betrayed, at the last supper, in Mark 14, 22, it says this. And as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, saying, take, this is my body. See, this event sets up that event on the night in which Jesus was going to pay for our redemption the next day. This is part of the feast this is a, a foreshadowing, a precursor of what was to come, a much greater event, a far greater significance. But in the, the formula is basically the same. He takes bread and gives thanks. Now this event teaches us much more than about the power of Jesus. The fact that it's a miracle certainly demonstrates his power as other miracles have been doing. But this presents something more than that. It presents Jesus, and Mark is trying to basically say, hey, something richer, something fuller, something more historic is going on here, folks. This is not just having a happy meal on the shores of the lake. There is something here that should remind you, remind God's people of his great deeds in the past through his servant Moses. And he's basically saying, now the second Moses is among you and he will do Moses-like things. 
to the glory of God and to the edification and care and shepherding of his people. This event tells them that the second Moses has come to bring not temporal salvation, deliverance from Egypt, but deliverance from the very forces of hell itself and for everything that threatens the people of God. There are key parallels throughout this whole story that present Mark as Mark presents the account. Where does it take place? In a desolate place. That word is desert. It's a desolate place. A br- bread is pictured in the center. Manna was in the old member provided by Moses, by God for the people through him. And then the orderliness, the grab- gathering of the people was done in Moses' time of 50s and 100s. That's no circumstance. That's no uh, occurrence, odd occurrence. It's purposely there that Jesus gathered the people in those groups to remind them of Exodus, new promise, promised land, realities of God's provision and blessing. And ultimately, this event demonstrates that Jesus is the greater Moses that will not only meet the physical, but the spiritual needs of his people who trust in him wherever they are whether they're in the confines of Israel or whether throughout the world. Today, the outline goes like this. The disciples, that's real short. Not a lot said about them, but it's important. The disciples, the disposition, the dilemma, and the delivery. So there's your four Ds. The disciples, the disposition of Jesus, The dilemma, the problem, and the delivery. The distribution of what God had provided through his son, the Lord Jesus. All right, let's look at the disciples. That's basically basically in 30 through 32 that we read. Now, remember, Mark, as I said, is putting the last piece of bread on his Mark and sandwich. Because he's returned back to the disciples they start, he started out with them, then that thing about Herod and John, and now back to that again. Now, what is Mark trying to do with this convention? Why would he add those couple, those things together? Story about disciples going out under the authority of Jesus, and then this crazy story about what happened to John and all the sordid details, and then back to this. That they come back and saying, Lord, it's, it was amazing, it was great. It just looks like you said, man, you should have seen what was happening. What was Mark trying to do? The sandwich structure draws mission and martyrdom very closely tied. Did you know that? Mission, on mission for God, can result in suffering and martyrdom. And it did for many. It was a foreshadowing. Discipleship and death go together. Sometimes literally physical death. Remember, all but one of the disciples were killed, were martyred. Only John. But it's also another kind of death. Jesus said, if you follow me, he would follow me, take up his cross and follow me. It's a death to self and to your agenda in place of God's. Mark is trying to say these things go together. 
They are intricately connected. Whoever would follow, follow Jesus must first reckon with the fate of John. May not be yours, but it's possibly it could be. John's martyrdom not only prefigures Jesus' death, but it prefigures the death of anyone who would follow him. You've heard the expression, there's no rest for the weary. Well, right now, that's where the disciples and Jesus are. They are exhausted. They can't get a moment. They can't even finish a meal. They have to literally eat on the run, and sometimes they can't even do that. And so, Jesus said, hey boys, it's time for a vacation. And so, they head off to a place that would be in the vicinity today of an ancient town, or ancient place called Bethsaida. Bethsaida. And uh, I think I've got something. I can help you with that. Jesus decides it's time for a little R&R in a desolate place. Now, here's the Sea of Galilee, or the Lake of Galilee, Galilee. And they had been, this is Capernaum, where it could be home base. And uh, we're going to see they're going to end up to, uh, next time over here get blown back over here. But right up here in this section, that's Bethsaida. And this, there's the Jordan River coming down. And this whole area was desolate. It was a desert. And that's why the title this morning, I chose that. This was a very desolate place. It was basically not good for growing anything. There wasn't a lot of maybe some scraggly livestock uh, feeding. But it was not a place of a lot of population. Uh, this, this was a little, obviously, a community. But all this whole area in here, um, this whole place would have been very uh, desolate, a uh, desert. I got another one, I think. Uh, and this... Is one of the possible sites to see this tell here, this risen, a mounded area. But this may be a little too far. There's the Sea or the Lake of Galilee. It's possible this, this has been one of the projected sites, but it could have been, now the next slide, much closer, more like, see this tell here? This could have been the mountain upon which the feeding would have taken place. And it would have been a lot closer to the uh, lakeside. So they, when they came in, the people were already here. Uh, and this is now probably a, a, has more evidence to point. Could have been more like that. Probably was closer to the lake uh, than that. So that's where they are, this desolate place. And there's going to be a feast now in the desert because of Jesus. Now, the disposition is found in verses 33 through 34. Jesus and his disciples have thought they ditched the crowd and we're going to finally get a little well-deserved R&R. <laughs> no contraire. Uh, quite the contrary. They're not going to get that people have run along the shoreline and they beat them when they arrive. They're there in droves, in hundreds, in thousands like a scene coming out of Braveheart. They're coming up in the mountains in hundreds and thousands. You know, you, you kind of, that's the kind of picture that you, uh, that you get. Uh, and when Jesus and company get back, they encounter this incredible throng of 5,000 men. And that's not counting the women and the children. Accounts are somewhere, probably somewhere in the, could have been 15 or more thousand when you add the entire families 
that would have been there. Mark just records the men. But the others would have been there as well, more than likely. They planned respite was interrupted by the need of the people. It was getting late. Jesus was teaching. But now, there is, darkness is soon to be coming on in just a few hours. I don't know about you, but Jesus' holiday by the sea was obviously uh, didn't go quite as he and the, and the boys planned. And uh, I don't know about you, but if someone interrupts my vacation, I might not be compassionate like Jesus was. <laughs> I might be a little bit annoyed, a little bit perturbed, but not Jesus. Despite his exhaustion, Jesus sees and looks upon this sea of humanity and sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And his heart, his great heart, flows out. And he comes to give them what they need spiritually and what they need physically. He is the one who saves and the one who makes whole. Ezekiel, interestingly, verse 34, 11 and 14 says this, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. I will feed them with good pasture. Those are the prophetic words from Ezekiel of this event the Lord Jesus would fulfill. This was Moses-esque. It was what Moses did. Having compassion, pleading for, interceding for the children of Israel and their folly and their foolishness and providing for them manna in the wilderness. And so the greater Moses, once again, Mark says, he's here. He's here. This is what Moses did. But oh, so much more. Now, it's a problem, right? The dilemma. That's in verses 35 through 37. Jesus was teaching the people late in the afternoon and his erstwhile trusty disciples once again figured out the situation and assessed it and said, Lord, uh, it's getting late. <laughs> uh, we, we need to get these people on the way home. Because um, they knew there was no Wendy's and there was no McDonald's in the area. Uh, so they sent them packing to their homes or to the nearest food court. Uh, that, that was their plan. But Jesus had a different plan. He responded to them and their wonderful plan in a very unexpected way. He said, you feed them. And they go, huh? Huh? yeah, you, you, you guys, y'all, all y'all, feed them. That's the plural of y'all, you know that. Um, only in the south. <laughs> so he says, you feed them. And they are what? They're what you and I would be. They're incredulous. They reply, what they said to Jesus in reply reveals the impossibility, the utter absurdity of Jesus' plan. Because they know how to do the math. They got a money counter in, in their midst. They know this is impossible. 
Because they say to Jesus, what are we going to do? Go get enough food that, that will cost us 200 denarii? And you say, well, what's 200 denarii? We'll try about eight months' wages. Now, I don't know if you just remember, they had just got through being told by Jesus before they went out to travel light. Don't carry a purse. Where are they going to get that kind of money? This is impossible, Lord. Yes, <laughs> with us. All things are impossible. Many things are impossible with us, but not with God. And that's again what Mark is saying. You're not dealing with the average Joe here. The average John. The average Moses. You're dealing with the God that made the universe and sustains it by the word of his power. So, the delivery comes in verses 38 through 44. The master sent them off on a little reconnaissance mission after he told them, you feed them. And they're, they're still scratching their heads. Um, he says, okay, now go out there and see what you got. You know, go out and reconnoiter and see what you can find out. And they come back, but it wasn't too promising what they came back with. They basically, you know what, again, Mark is alluding to something that happened. What happened in the prompt? The spies were sent out to reconnoiter, to get reconnaissance on the land. That's what Jesus is doing. Send them out, get reconnaissance. He's trying to, again, say, look at what's here right in your midst and you don't even see it. But I'm dropping breadcrumbs for you. I'm dropping hints all over the place. And so they come back, finally, with this yield that's not very impressive. Five barley pancakes and two supersized sardines. <laughs> what are you going to do with that? <laughs> five, five pancakes and some supersized sardines. <laughs> Once more, with the Exodus adventures in mind, Jesus calls for the people to group in orderly numbers of 50s and 100s, just like Moses did. Have you ever seen how... I read this for years and never saw all the connections. It's like Jesus is going, Hello? Anybody there? Do you understand what's happening? And when everyone was in place, Jesus gave a blessing. Now, most likely that was the traditional pre-meal blessing for God's provision. It's known as the Baruch in Hebrew. And that was one of the first things that we learned to say this blessing. But you know, I, I probably would butcher a couple aspects of it if I tried to give you the Hebrew now. So how about the English? Will that, will that work? Is that better? Okay. It went like this. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the world, who brings forth bread from the earth. Would have been probably that very blessing that Jesus would have prayed. And it was probably followed up also. This is a little bit of conjecture. But it could have been followed up by a 500 plus voiced amen. You've heard the choir do a threefold amen, a fourfold amen, fivefold. Now, this is a 5,000 plus voiced amen. 
as Jesus gave that blessing. And then the distribution began. And the fish and the bread kept multiplying. When they reached in, the first time it pulled out, there was more there the next time. And they began to spread it out and pass it down and pass it down. And it kept, kept multiplying. Folks, this is not normal. <laughs> this is what you call a miracle. It's something that goes against the grain of everything that we know and understand about the way this world works physically. Jesus, with his spoken word, multiplied the molecular structure of barley cakes and pickled fish. It is the creation power that he brings to the lives of of everyone who trusts in him too. That same power that he used to create the world and to sustain it is also the power that he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. All things have passed away and behold all things are new. You see, this is a miracle. Now, if you and I can't believe that Jesus could do that, if you think this is like a bunch of theological liberals that say, oh, Jesus didn't walk on water. Well, we're going to see him walking on water next time. He was just, it was from their angle, and uh, it was probably just about two, three inches deep there. Tide had gone out, and, and it, but from that angle, it looked like he was walking on top of the water. But he was really uh, just real shallow. All of the kind of excuses that unbelief has made up down through the ages. If you and I can't believe that Jesus could do that, could multiply fish and bread like he did to feed enough, a crowd of ten to 15,000 people with buku's left over. If we can't believe that, then why in the world do you believe when it says in the scriptures, in Hebrews, and in Colossians, that he created and sustains the world. Listen. For by him, Colossians 1.16, all things were created. By who? Jesus. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones and dominions and rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Hebrews 1, 1, 3. He, meaning Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So, if you believe, if you're having a problem with the multiplying of fish and bread, that's not a problem. Not if the other's true, what I just read. If he created the world, what kind of effort did that take? If he could put everything into its place that we know, visible and invisible, you think that's hard for him? You see, you can't have it 
where you can take the Bible in bits and pieces. Well, I don't believe that. That's just too, too incredulous. No, you either take it and you believe it all or you throw it away. Jettison it and stop worrying about the foolishness because it's all a make-believe story. You don't have your back to Lewis. You've got him as Lord, liar, or lunatic, then there is no other choice. You can't have it where you can have him kind of, well, I, I believe this, I accept that, but I don't believe that. You kind of pick and choose. You see, my friends, it's your prerogative to not believe. You can make that choice. But don't put words in Mark's mouth. Don't come up with me with some kind of patronizing nonsense about, well, they must have, you know, they, you know probably kind of they got in some kind of a uh, state and, and, and they felt like they were satisfied. And so, you know, but, but, but we know bread can't be multiplied like that. Yeah, we know that axe heads can't float either, but it did. In the Old Testament, under the prophet, God can suspend. Men don't rise from the dead either. But it did, he did. You, you shouldn't struggle over things like this. If he created it all, he can do anything he wants with it whenever and however he wants. What seemed hopeless became a time of abundance and satisfaction for the people of God. Jesus took the little that was available. Isn't that amazing? It, he just took the little that was available, our little bit, and yet, look at what he did with it. That's the way Jesus works. He took the little that was available, and he provided such lavish abundance. That's our God. That's our Savior. You know, old Bernard, Bernard of Clairvaux, he had it right. When he said in his hymn, that's attributed to him, we taste of thee, O thou living bread. Who's that? Jesus. And long to feast on thee still. We still need you. We still want to feed on you by faith. As we come to a table like this, as we take and receive your word, Lord Jesus, feed us. We drink of thee, the fountainhead. And thirst our souls from thee to fill. Lord, we're counting on you to fill us. Satisfy us. Satiate all our wandering longings and let them be met and found in you. We sang it a little while ago. Bread of heaven. Bread of heaven. Feed me till I want no more. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we come now before you together to partake of the table that you have provided for sinners, but it's not for anyone and everyone. It's for those alone who know they are sinners and have confessed that and professed their faith in you, Lord, that this might be a table of refreshment, of satisfaction, of fullness, and of need met. Lord, may we find that here today with you. Come in our midst. 
as our bread of heaven and feed us till we want no more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.